Chapter Four of The Calico Cat. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain and is read by Mark Smith of Simpsonville, South Carolina. The Calico Cat by Charles Minor Thompson. Chapter Four. When Nancy Ware, Jim's pretty teacher, heard that Mr. Edwards had let Jim go to jail, she was hotly indignant. She liked Jim and laughed a little over him, for she knew he adored her. In her view he was a clumsy, nice boy, awkward and shy, to be sure, but rewarding her friendliness now and then with a really entrancing grin. She liked his imagination, she liked his loyalty, and she liked his dogged resolution. She heard the news at the noon hour on Monday, and after her dinner she hurried at once to the store of Fred Farnsworth. To him she roundly declared that Mr. Edwards was a brute, a view of the man which struck Fred as a bit highly colored. Fred was thirty-one or thirty-two years old, a sensible, humorous fellow, with considerable personal force. He was very proud of the handsome shop over which hung the sign, Frederick W. Farnsworth, fine crockery and glassware, and still prouder of his engagement to Miss Ware. He was the second grand juryman from Elmington. "'Oh,' said he, "'Edwards isn't a bad sort of man. He isn't very sociable. I guess he wouldn't take much impudence, even from that boy of his. They say Jim wouldn't own up, and the old man won't do anything for him till he does.' "'If Jimmy Edwards says he didn't fire that gun, he didn't,' said Nancy, positively. "'Jimmy isn't the lying kind. I know Mr. Edwards. I ought not to call him a brute, I suppose. But he's one of those obstinate men who will do anything they've made up their minds to do, even if you prove to them that they're wrong, even if it hurts them more than it does anyone else. He's just got it into his head that Jimmy ought to confess.' and he'd let him go to the gallows before he'd back down." Nancy spoke with animation, her color rose and her eyes grew bright, and Fred looked and listened admiringly. He was skeptical about Jim, but he was struck with the accuracy of the portrait of Edwards. "'I guess that's about so,' he said. "'And when I think of that poor boy shut up in that awful jail, locked into a cell, when he ought to be out of doors playing ball and having a good time, it makes my blood boil," continued Miss Ware. Now, Fred, she concluded with pretty decision, you must stop it. Fred laughed. Isn't that a pretty large order? he asked. Squire Tucker put him there. I guess it's legal. You can do something, said his betrothed. Go to see Jimmy. See if you can't find out what's the matter. Jimmy likes you. Perhaps he'll tell." "'I didn't know Jim had any particular partiality for me,' said Fred, but he felt kindlier toward the boy in spite of himself. "'If you can only find out what really happened, I know we can get him out,' averred Miss Ware. "'Why don't you go yourself?' said Farnsworth. "'I can't. Not till five o'clock. Of course I'm going then.' "'That's about four hours off,' said Farnsworth. "'But I want something done now,' exclaimed Nancy. "'Oh!' said Fred, humorously. "'Will you go?' "'Of course. I'll start at once.' Fred dropped his banter. "'I'll tell you what, Nancy. 
I may not be able to do much right off, but I'll promise you that he has a fair chance before the grand jury." Farnsworth started at once for the jail. It was a poor place for a boy, he reflected, as he rang the jailer's private bell. Calkins himself was not there, and his wife came to the door. She knew Farnsworth, and when he asked if he might see Jim, she laughed a little, and told him to step right in. Hotel Calkins was a brick building which looked pleasantly like a private dwelling, as in fact a good half of it was. In this front half dwelt the jailer, in the rear half, separated from the living quarters by a thick wall and heavy doors, was the jail proper. There Farnsworth expected to be led. But not at all. Mrs. Calkins ushered him into her own kitchen, where a wash-tub showed what she was doing, where the afternoon sun and sweet September air poured in at the open windows, and where a canary in its cage was singing cheerily. Here Farnsworth was much surprised to see Jim, curled up in Mrs. Calkins' own rocking-chair, eating a large, red-cheeked apple which he was dividing with a brand-new knife. "'Squire Tucker told Mark,' said Mrs. Calkins, enjoying the joke, "'that he guessed James would like our society full as well as that of the prisoners.' As for Jim, he grinned affably, and took another slice of his apple." The awful picture which Miss Ware had drawn of Jim's dreadful isolation and misery, and her own indignant sympathy, rushed upon Farnsworth's mind, and were so comically out of relation with the facts, that he sank weakly into the nearest chair, and roared. <laughs> "'This is the way? <laughs> you go to jail?' he gasped. Mrs. Calkins smiled in sympathy and Jim, half suspecting that he ought to be offended at this frank mirth, looked sheepishly at the floor. Farnsworth recovered himself. "'A mighty good friend of yours,' he said. "'Set me over here.' "'Miss Ware?' asked Jim, much pleased. "'Yes. She's coming herself right after school, loaded down with things to console your desolate prison life, I believe.' <laughs> and Farnsworth had to stop to laugh again. "'But she wanted me to start right in and help you out of this, and that's what I'm here for.' "'Thank you,' said Jim, embarrassed but polite. But it struck Farnsworth, as he said afterward, that the boy shied a little. "'Miss Ware says,' he went on, "'that she doesn't believe you fired that shot, and she wants you to tell me exactly what did happen.' Now, if we can show that you didn't shoot, I can get you out of here quick." "'What are they going to do to me?' said Jim. "'That depends. It makes a difference how much Lamoury's hurt. The penalty might be severe if he's got a bad wound. But even then, if we could show that you didn't know he was there, or that the gun went off by accident, or that you were firing at something else, it would make a big difference. And if you can show that you weren't there at all, why, out you go, scot-free. But, Jim, you can see yourself that if you don't tell what you know, everybody'll think that you shot and meant to hurt Lamoury, and then it might go pretty hard with you. Now come, tell me what happened." "'You'd better tell, Jimmy,' said Mrs. Calkins, straightening up from her wash-tub. You won't find any better friends than Mr. Farnsworth and Miss Ware." 
The young man, as he talked, watched the boy curiously. Jim flushed and squirmed, and looked now at the floor and now out at the window, with a marked uneasiness and embarrassment that greatly puzzled his friend. And when he stopped, and the boy had to answer, his distress became really pitiable. "'Can't you tell me, Jim?' Mr. Farnsworth hazarded, after a little, putting a kindly hand on the boy's arm, while Mrs. Calkins stood quiet by her tub in friendly expectation. But Jim remained dumb. After waiting a little, Farnsworth, seeing the boy so miserable, took pity on him. "'Well, never mind, Jim,' he said. "'You needn't tell if you don't want to.' He would have to let Nancy coax it out of him. But he was puzzled, impressed with a sense of mystery, and with the growing conviction that the boy was shielding someone else. He began to talk cheerfully of other things, hoping that Jim might perhaps drop a useful hint, or at least that the boy would gain confidence in him as a friend. By chance he asked, "'Where did you get the knife, Jim?' "'Mr. Peasley gave it to me.' "'Peasley!' exclaimed Farnsworth. He well knew the closeness of his fellow-juror. "'It isn't much of a knife,' said Jim, apologetic but pleased. Jim's views of the world were changing. His father, although a bandit chief, had let him go to jail, while this stingy old man, with no halo of adventure about him, gave him a knife. And here were Miss Ware and Mr. Farnsworth and Mrs. Calkins and the jailer, none of them smugglers, who were very kind. Farnsworth rose to go. Then Jim, summoning all his courage, asked a question which had long been trembling on his lips. "'What do they do to smugglers, Mr. Farnsworth?' "'Fine em, or put em in jail, or both. Why?' "'Nothing much,' said Jim, but obviously he was cast down. Farnsworth walked thoughtfully toward his store. "'By George!' he thought suddenly. "'I wonder!' The gossip about the senior Edwards had occurred to him, and at the same time he remembered the quarrel with Lamoury. "'But what nonsense!' he thought. "'If Edwards wanted to shoot anyone, he wouldn't do it in his own backyard, and he wouldn't treat his own boy that way, either.' Still the idea clung to him. And then he thought of Nancy, and chuckled. <laughs> if she comes to the store before she goes to the jail, I won't tell her what she'll find there, he promised himself. Meanwhile, Mr. Peasley felt a growing discomfort. He ate his dinner and answered the brisk questions of his wife with increasing preoccupation. Like Miss Ware, he was picturing Jim's solitary and suffering in his lonely cell. With the utmost sincerity and ingenuousness, he condemned Mr. Edwards. "'Hain't he got any feelin' for his own flesh and blood?' he asked himself. "'Tain't right. Somebody'd ought to deal with him.' As he pottered about his yard after dinner, he finally worked himself up to the point of speaking to Edwards himself. Even his righteous indignation would not have led him to this undertaking, had he known Mr. Edwards better or realized the father's present mood. Hurt exceedingly by Jim's lying and contempt of his wishes, hurt even more through his disappointed desire to help his boy, Mr. Edwards was sore and sensitive, 
discontented both with Jim and with himself. He did not want Jim in jail, he told himself, and the neighbors who were so uniformly assuming that he did might better give their thoughts to matters that concerned them more. He would get the boy out of jail quick enough, if the boy would only let him. As he stepped out of the house to do an errand at the barn, Mr. Peaslee hailed him over the dividing fence. Somewhat put out, Mr. Edwards nevertheless turned and walked toward his neighbor. Mr. Peaslee, leaning over the fence, began. "'Edwards,' he said, reaching out an anxious, deprecatory hand, "'don't you think you're just a little mite hard on that boy of yourn?' He got no further. Edwards gave him a look that made him shiver, and cut the conversation short by turning on his heel and marching toward the barn. "'Tretful hush, man, tretful hush!' Mr. Peaslee muttered to himself. "'Nice, likely boy as ever was. If I had a boy like that, I swan I wouldn't treat him so consarned mean.' He turned away much shocked, and saw the calico cat watching him ironically from the chicken-house. "'Drat that cat!' said he. "'I ain't going to stay round here, not with that beast grinning at me.' He got his hat and started uptown, not knowing in the least what he intended to do there. He stopped, however, at every shop window and studied baseballs, bats, tivoli boards, accordions. He was beginning to wonder if a twenty-five-cent knife was enough to console Jim for his unmerited incarceration. He was gazing forlornly in at the window of Upham's drug store, where some half-dozen harmonicas were displayed, and wondering if Jim would be allowed to play one in his dungeon cell, when Hibbard spoke to him. He drew the lawyer aside, and peering closely into his face with anxious eyes, exaggerated by his spectacles, said insinuatingly, "'Just twixt you and me kinder confidential. Pete ain't hurt bad, is he? You don't mind saying, do you?' Jake drew himself up, surprised and suspicious. Did the old fool think him as innocent as all that? "'He's hurt bad, Mr. Peaslee, bad,' he said with dignity. "'Of course it isn't fatal, unless it should mortify.' He waved his hand deprecatingly. "'I can't imagine what that Edwards boy used in his gun.' Mr. Peaslee knew the marble. He trembled. Still, he knew Jake's reputation— a shrewd thought visited his troubled mind. "'What doctor see in him?' he asked. "'Doctor!' exclaimed Hibbard, irritated. "'Doctor! You know these French Canadians. They're worse scared of a doctor than of the evil one himself. Pete's using some old woman's stuff on his wounds. Bear's grease, rattlesnake oil, catnip tea. What do I know?' I can't make him see a doctor. Some doctor'll have to testify to court, won't they? persisted Mr. Peaslee. Oh, I'll look out for that, don't you fear? the lawyer said easily, but nevertheless he made a pretext for leaving the old man. Perhaps had Mr. Peaslee's fears not been so keen, he would have taken some comfort from this conversation, but as it was he felt that the lawyer was dangerous. He feared that Pete really was badly hurt. It would go hard, then, with Jim. It would, by the same token, 
go hard with himself should he confess. Suddenly he turned and rushed into Upham's store. Upham, said he, I want that. And he pointed straight at a big harmonica with a strange and wonderful harp attachment, bright-coloured and of amazing possibilities. Upham, a neat little gentleman with nicely trimmed side-whiskers, who was always fluttered by the unexpected, hesitated, half-opened his mouth, and then forgot either to shut it or to speak. Uh, "'Why, Mr. Peasley,' he stammered at last, "'it's real expensive. You, It's two dollars and seventy-five cents.' "'Don't care nothing what it costs,' said Mr. Peasley, who was in a hurry for fear lest he should think twice. When he came out of the store with the harmonica in his hands, he almost stumbled into Miss Ware. She was on her way to Jim, and, of course, her mind was full of his affairs. Here was Mr. Edwards' next neighbour. She impulsively stopped to ask if the misguided father still held to his resolution about Jim. Mr. Peasley had reason to know that he did, and said so. "'I tell you, Miss Ware,' said he, with much emotion, "'he belongs to a stony-hearted generation, and that's a fact.' He ain't got any compassion in him, seems though. "'It's a shame, a perfect shame!' exclaimed Nancy. "'Tain't right,' said Mr. Peasley, with a warmth which surprised the young woman, and made her warm to this old man, whom she had always thought so selfish. "'Tain't right. Your own flesh and blood so.' "'Well,' said Miss Ware, "'I'm going to the jail now. I want to see Jimmy.' It must be awful there. Well, now, that's real kind of you, responded Mr. Peasley. I wondered now if you'd mind taking this along to him. And he offered her the paper parcel. It's a harmonica, I guess they call it. It's real handsome. It costs considerable, a pretty considerable sum. I feel kinder sorry for the little feller, and don't grudge it a mite and he kept repeating, in a tone which suggested whistling to keep your courage up, "'Not a mite! Not a mite!' Miss Ware smothered a laugh on hearing what the present was. She must not hurt the feelings of this kind old man. "'Oh!' said the little hypocrite. "'That's nice! Jimmy'll be so pleased!' But perhaps the harmonica pleased Jim as much as the school-books which the schoolteacher— with a solicitous eye on her pupil standing in his studies, was taking to him. Saying good-bye to Mr. Peasley, Miss Ware, books, and harmonica in hand, went on her way to visit the afflicted boy in his dungeon. Meanwhile Jim, turning the ringer for Mrs. Calkins, and listening to her stories of Mark's prowess with all sorts of malefactors, was having an excellent time. He had decided to be a sheriff when he grew up. End of chapter 4